All right, we are going to read our scripture today. This is just an awesome portrait of being in the throne room of heaven. It is wonderful. And that song we just sang, I almost wish I didn't have to give out communion so I could just, you know, participate more. Anyway, it's awesome. I love that song. All right, so I'm going to read Revelation 4. It's just 11 verses. It's called The Throne in Heaven. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what you must take, pl- what must take, must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there, were, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of the Lord. So grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today is about a vision of worship. And um, does anybody go to rock concerts? When I was young, I had no money, you know, so I didn't go to concerts. Now that I'm older and I have more money, I can go to the bands I didn't go to in the 80s. Uh, I I went to that, uh, was it Styx, Loverboy, and Ario Speedwagon concert. Anybody else go to that? Okay, those is freaky because they they sound the same. I'm like, how are these how are these how are they still singing like this? And they're moving around really fast. I'm like, how are they still moving like that? Aren't they like 70 or something? Anyway, anybody or the Jason Aldean concert? Anybody go to that one? I didn't either. So, but if you've been at a concert, do you ever you know everybody's like singing right? Their hands are up. Kind of feels a little bit like worship, doesn't it? I've, or am I the only one that gets that guilty feeling every so often? I'm like, ooh, I'm having a lot of excitement, a lot of energy. I like these words. This feels like, yeah. And then I think about Sunday morning sometimes, and I'm like, ooh. <laughs> am I different? Am, who am I worshiping? Why am I singing with that person? Why? Anybody else have this problem? You're like, no, you just ruined every rock concert I'll have the rest of my life. We'll put a pin in that one for now. We'll come back to that. So this is a vision of heaven itself. 
And this is the transition. We had the, we've had several weeks, all the letters to the churches, right? And now this is a new vision, a new vision that John gets to have here. It says, after this, I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. That's Jesus, by the way, saying that. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. So he saw a door, and Jesus is like, Come on up, let's go. Uh, it's wide open for you. So, so was, was John physically in heaven? Or was he just raised in the spirit? Or was he somewhere in between? Or do we care or no? This happened to another guy. Uh, this guy named Paul. So I'm going to read what happened to him. 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord, which is what we're doing. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. It was Paul. He's just trying to act like it's not him. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. So this idea that Paul and Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah and John, we've had lots of people that were caught up into heaven, either physically or not. God knows. That's not the point here. But what's interesting is this is called the revelation. That's the apocalypsis. It's, if you look at the Greek, it's the apocalypsis of Yanois, right? It's, it's his apocalypse. You're like, when you hear apocalypse, what do you think of? The end of the world, right? Which, according to everybody, is going to be on Tuesday. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe. Could be today. Who knows? We don't know the last day. But this apocalyptic writing that we see in all those other writers of Scripture, they're trying to describe something. Now, does God give us revelation directly from his mouth? Yes. He also tries to teach through visions. And this is an example of him trying to teach through a vision that he is giving to John. Now, if I'm going to explain or teach something through a vision, it's, it's a little hard. It's hard to be literal, isn't it? Imagine, here's, here's, what, here's the task. Let's say John shows up today and he sees a television. All right, John, go. Tell me, what's going on here? He'd be like, uh, there's this uh, box thing and it's, flat, and, but there's lights coming out of it, and there's like pictures, and they're moving, which is crazy, and then there's all these things, and there's sound coming out of this thing, and then it like turns, it, it changes and changes, and it's always, it's like it's moving around. So, so you see if John showed up and said, describe a television, it would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? I hope that helps you understand sometimes why Revelation we're trying to use human words that we can understand to describe this honestly undescribable situation. Which is why in worship, one reason I think, and Luther actually brought this, he brought music to worship. Before him, the people weren't singing. Because music and lyrics and poetry are a great way for us to describe 
you know, what's in our heart or what we're thinking and feeling. It's a, it's a different level of communicating with God. So God inspired this word. He's revealing, he's telling us things through it. And we see this one sitting on the throne. It is God. Now, can't look directly at God, but we see that it's described that we see his radiance, uh, that we see him uh, reflecting like stones. And we also see the rainbow. Now, in the ancient Jewish tradition and in the Christian tradition, the rainbow has tremendous significance. It is the sign that God gave us that he has shown mercy to his creation, that he has shown mercy to us and not held the wrath that we deserve against us. It shows us that he's never going to flood the earth again and that he's coming back and he fulfills his promises. So anytime we see a rainbow, we should stop and think, wow, God gave mercy to all of us. And it's a wonderful thing. Sometimes when I'm traveling around the country with my children and we see uh, rainbows on flags, I go, look, kids, we're not going to get drowned anymore. And they're like, ah, dad, you're such a lame. But that's what, it, that's what it means. That's what it means. The rainbow is a wonderful sign of hope and mercy. And we should be in awe when we see a rainbow. It almost comes through the window here, doesn't it? For those of you that are blinded right now, you're like, yeah, I'm seeing lots of colored spots right now. All right, so now we got this, this worship going on here. In Revelation 4, 4 through 6a, around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there were a sea of glass like crystal. So who are these 24 elders? Theologians have been chewing on this forever, and there's lots of commentaries on it. Based on everything I read, the best explanation of who these 24 elders might be, there's 12 that represent the 12 uh, tribes of David, right? The 12 tribes of Israel, and then we've got the 12 apostles. They think that's probably the 24. Not sure. We also have, uh, but the, the cool thing is, these patriarchs of Israel or the, the apostles, this is the Old Testament, this is the New Testament, they symbolize or represent all the people of God. They all have crowns on their head. You all have a crown on your head that was earned through Christ. You are co-heirs in Christ. When Christ returns, we actually co-steward the earth with him, which is a crazy thing that he's going to elevate us to that level. And these robes that they're wearing, we've talked about this, the blood of Christ has cleansed them and made them righteous and holy. And he is exalted at the right hand of God. And we know that the spirit is present here. That's what the seven torches mean, the seven, uh, the completeness, the seven lamps of fire are the Holy Spirit. Now, does this description of the throne room of heaven happen other places? Yes. And they're somewhat different, but I thought I'd better read the one from Exodus 24. And it says, Then Moses and Aaron and uh, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, 
like the very heaven of clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. They're in the throne room of heaven. And we see this similar thing, like this sea of glass, or this sapphire, or this heaven of clearness. We see the the glory of God being radiated in these stones. It's showing his magnificence. His, His glory shines through them. And this sea is a sea of glass and of peace, of calm. Now, in this world, not, the seas are a little more turbulent, aren't they? Pretty big waves. Lots of turbulence. When Jesus calms the storm with the word, this is exactly what he does. We are at peace with God. They ate and they drank, just like you got to eat and drink with God today. What a gift to know that we are at peace because of what the blood of the Lamb did for us. This, I got one negative thing. My wife's going to hate this when she comes to the sermon uh, next. I told her there's going to be something you're not going to like in the sermon. So this might be the thing you don't like in the sermon. A little foretaste of Revelation 21. In the new heavens and the new earth, there's no more sea. There's no more she loves the beach, okay? She loves the beach. She loves the ocean. And I got to tell her, hey, you know, in the resurrection, not only are we not married, uh, there's no ocean uh, for you to, yeah. She's, I hope that doesn't deter you from wanting to go there, which tells, whenever I hear things like that, that means there must be something better than I can even imagine because those are pretty awesome. So if those are gone, that means it's got to be so next level I don't know, the sea of glass, maybe. I don't know, it's perfectly calm. Maybe it's Jew. I don't, I don't know. But does that bother anybody else that there's no, no sea? Well, take it up with God. I mean, he puts it in his words. So, Like I tell my family, don't, don't care what I think. Care, care what God thinks. This is the stuff that matters. All right, so Revelation 4, 6b. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Just like we sang in the Revelation song this morning. Now these creatures, these scary-looking cherubim and seraphim, uh, I'm not going to put an image up of them. On Wednesday, I might, when I'm teaching Bible study over this text, and we'll talk more about that and the different descriptions of these, I would say, amazingly awful creatures, (laughs) very powerful and scary-looking. We'll talk about that, but there's lots of theologians who are like, okay, what's up with these uh, four faces? What do they mean? Some are like, oh, it's the four gospels. Some are like, oh, it's the north, south, east, west. It's the four corners of the world. It's showing that God is redeeming everything, all creation. But regardless of that, if they're represented symbolically or whatever, they are representatives. They fulfill the godly role of attending God in his heavenly majesty. These angels are attending to God. In particular, and what we read in our text today, is that they lead the heavenly Host, angelic and saintly, in singing the praises of God. They are the worship leaders. <laughs> These angels are leading worship. Now, 
Do we have a worship leader? Where is she? I don't want to embarrass her. I will embarrass her. Okay. So Sarah, right? She's a worship leader. Do we direct our worship towards her? No. In fact, she is like super vigilant that she does everything in her power to make sure all worship goes to the one true God and not this thing going on over here, right? She's essentially filling a role, like we're seeing here with the, with the elders and the angels, of directing worship towards the one true God. And it is a wonderful thing to be able to be directed towards God. Now, I've talked to her and several other worship leaders. How do they figure out what this looks like, <laughs> right, with music and all that? And every one of them I've talked to, thankfully, all of them say this. Where we start with determining what worship looks like and what songs we're going to pick always starts with the Word of God. What is the text? What is God trying to teach us? And based on that, we try to find songs that would match, that would align with that. Sometimes it's easier than others, but I think Sarah does an excellent job of very much digging into that. She's theologically super sound, and she's even hyper-vigilant amongst us. I'll suggest a song. She'd be like, eh, I don't think so, Dan. I'm like, but I like that song. She's like, I know, but it doesn't match with what we're, I know. Which is good that we have a worship leader that is so diligent on the word of God. And there's several others I know that are just like that. So it's a wonderful gift that we have. So this great hymn of praise begins. It's the agios, 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 holy, holy, holy. And God is holy, holy different than us, holy apart from us, holy perfect and righteous and deserves all the honor, praise, and glory, not us. But he gives us these crowns to wear and says, and whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. These 24 elders and you and me who all wear the crown of righteousness, they know, and you and I all know, we don't deserve these crowns. These are a gift from God to unworthy children. So what do they do as a symbolic act of worship? They take them off and they cast them, and then they bow. That is the posture of worship knowing you've gotten this wonderful gift that you don't deserve, you've done nothing to achieve this, but it is a free gift that God has given you through his son, Jesus. That gift is perpetual. It is eternal. It is forever. And this act of worship is, well, the blood of the lamb, right? Why can we even talk to God? I was telling the kids when they're coming up here, why can we even, I go, what are they doing? Oh, they're singing. What are they doing? We're singing God's words back to him. It's a wonderful gift. Diedrich Bonhoeffer had a wonderful quote I read this last week, taking the Psalms class. The Psalms are a very unique book. If you noticed verse 11 today, it's indented. This is what we'd call poetic 
language, which is the Psalms is pretty much all poetic, right? We see it in Isaiah and other places, this poetic language. This is his quote. I think it's beautiful. The child learns to speak because his father speaks to him. He learns the speech of his father. So we learn to speak of God because God has spoken to us and speaks to us. By means of the speech of the Father in heaven, his children learn to speak with him, repeating God's own words after him. We begin to pray to him. Now that is what prayer is all about. We're speaking God's words back to him. He has taught his children, and we speak them back. That is what we're doing when we're singing his songs. That's what we're doing when we're praying. That's when we're not just here on Sunday morning, when we speak God's words to others. It's an amazing gift. Now, my golf partner, Chad, he went to the Jason Aldean concert, right? Front row. And he's a devout Christian man, and we iron sharpens iron uh, kind of relationship, right? We can talk to him about literally everything, confess our sins, all that stuff. So I asked him, I go, I go, Chad, when you're up in that front row and you're, you know, singing with Jason Aldean and all his great songs, I go, don't you get a little wonky? And he goes, no. Every time I go to a concert, I direct my worship not to the creation, but to the creator who has given this person this gift that is awesome and should be applauded. Good job, right? Wonderful gift. But why is that person even able to do that? Because God has gifted them that way. So he redirects his worship to God. And when he's at a concert, he makes it a worship service for himself. And he tells everybody around him, that's what's going on. He points to heaven when he's hearing something good like that, which makes me feel better about the next concert I go to. And hopefully you too. (laughs) Don't worship the creation. Worship the creator. But this is the great thing about creation. It glorifies God. You glorify God. How do you glorify God? I don't see any reflections coming out of me of you know, the glory of God shining out. I don't see any of that. But any good work you do in the name of the Lord glorifies God. It is a gift you give to your neighbor. You are worshiping all the time. It is 24-7. God has ordained this. He is the ruler and master of your life, and that glory shines every time you do something. The good works you do come from God. The words you have from God don't come from you. They come from God. When you forgive others, when you love others, when you think of others before yourself, you are glorifying God in your body. You are an incarnational creature who is meant to worship all the time. And that is a wonderful thing to know that we get to do this forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And this image of the throne room of heaven is, it's apocalyptic writing, right? Trying to describe the undescribable, but it gives us a glimpse of how wonderful it's going to be in the presence of God and his majesty. Now, we know that Jesus has done everything we need and more to give us those crowns of righteousness. That blood sacrifice pays for the sins of the world. He rests on Saturday. But what's he do on Sunday? He rises. Why do we worship on Sunday? We celebrate the resurrection. You and I all get this resurrection. This is something that is worthy to be praised, something to be remembered, 
something that glorifies God in song and prayer and sacrament. But it's not about Sunday. Worship is all the time. Now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I hope you are enabled to go and live this life that embodies God. Spirit lives in you, and he wants to use you to glorify God. Worship is all the time. And we can go on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen? Will you stand and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for worship. Thank you for making us creatures who can know you, who can worship you, and be in relationship with you now and forever. So I, I thank you for that wonderful gift of the crowns of righteousness that you've given us, that your spirit that abides. And I pray as we go out today, we would glorify you in worship with all of our good works towards our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Have a wonderful week.